Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Pajajski and I'm a material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we're bringing you A Future Made, a brand new podcast by Heriot Watt University. In the series, we'll find out how pioneering research at Harriet Watt in the fields of science, business, technology, design and engineering is helping to change the future, solve the problems of today and make an impact on the global stage. Today, we're talking about energy, renewables. Specifically, we're going to zoom in on the statistical review of world energy. Do you know anything about this, Anna? It is, I'll give you a clue, sometimes referred to as the Bible of energy statistics. Okay, well, the clue has confused me even more than the name of it itself. The statistical review of world energy. I mean, I think I understand kind of how energy works in the world, but I've got no idea how statistics plays into that. So basically what we're talking about is the stats behind the economics of energy. So everything from oil to renewables and how actually 2020 in energy was a year unlike any other as with so many different areas of our lives. Due to the pandemic, carbon emissions were back to their 2011 levels. I thought to myself, you know, in a way, through a very costly and painful process, namely 2020, it's as if we traveled back in time by a decade. So we're going to be hearing from two assistant professors of economics at Heriot Watt University's Edinburgh Business School, Erkal Ersoy and Rachel Forshaw. Oh, fun fact about Edinburgh Business School is that they own the building called Panmure House in Edinburgh, which was actually where Adam Smith, the sort of father of modern economics, used to live. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really cool. I didn't know that that was where he used to live, um, but it's obviously Panmure House, quite a famous building, and my dad actually studied there, so definitely know all about it. And didn't study economics. I'm a history graduate, but obviously the wealth of nations, you know, talking about um, nation states, wealth, economics, the invisible hand, state regulation. We wouldn't really be having this conversation about the economics of oil if it wasn't for an economist as grand and, you know, legendary as Adam Smith. So I spoke to both of the academics about the work that Harriet Watt does each year for the Stats Review. I thought we'd start off with having a listen to Assistant Professor Rachel Forshaw about how she felt when she went through the data points for the first time. The thing that sprang to mind was uh, how this this time is different, to, to borrow a phrase from Reinhardt and Rogoff's famous paper. Um, it was really uh, quite visceral. You were taking in the data country by country and, uh, and uh, putting it together, but seeing without any sort of extra analysis, these big trends. So things that we saw were a huge decline in, in primary um, energy consumption, and that's kind of the, the total energy demand of a country. Um, actually, it's the largest decline that we've seen since World War II, 4.38% into context is about two and a half times the last recession, which was the 2009 recession, dubbed the Great Recession. At that time, we thought that this was a, a, a huge thing in the world, but relative to the global pandemic, it's, it's relatively small. So I knew that energy consumption went down globally during the pandemic, but I'm 
amazed to hear that it was that high. And also it's interesting to hear it relative to the last recession as well, the last big recession. Um, what were the other main surprising statistics to come out of the study? I mean, we're, we're going to listen to Erkal talking about this later, but I guess the the other key point was, despite this almost 10% drop in energy usage, um, actually renewables remained largely unaffected. So the growth of renewables was pretty consistent, despite the fact that oil and gas demand was dropping. And we're going to come back to this later. I would really butcher the explanations, but this is huge, huge news for the renewables industry. And it does give some hope for the future over, you know, how humans can maybe divert and change tack um, and take a different path. So we're going to listen to Erkal Ersoy. Well, this is the Assistant Professor of Economics at the School of Social Sciences at Harriet Watt University that was talking about. So he's just going to explain some of the most surprising things to come out of it in a bit more detail. Looking at the bigger picture, there are there are good news um, that are coming out of it. And that's that's the exciting part. And that's the part that we looked at and thought, wow, we have never seen that before. And <laughs> we've never seen that before. And it's, it seems like 2020 was a year of firsts um, in many respects. And um, we're trying to look at the positives after having gone through the pain and suffering of a year like 2020. In terms of oil, um, oil demand fell by 9.5% in 2020. And um, if anyone is interested in, in raw numbers, that's over 9 million barrels of oil less being consumed per day. And that's that's far larger than anything we have seen in history and much larger than any other component of primary energy demand. Let me put it this way, this decline was so large that it accounted for around three quarters of the fall in overall energy consumption globally. Whoa, that, that is serious. I mean, I knew that oil was obviously accountable for, you know, a lot of our consumption, but three quarters is massive. Yeah, it's huge. Um, we're going to be talking about um, decarbonising logistics later in the series, but, you know, almost everything around you comes at some point in like a lorry. So I was really surprised by that because mm. I thought shipping containers did a, a great bulk of it. But at some point, you know, it's going to come on a road. So that's going to be, you know, like oil that, that that's going to power that car. Mm. Gas is a lot more easy to um, use than than renewable energy like electricity so you can plan more for for gas and actually we've seen with the gas shortages how that can go wrong at the moment yeah. but um, electricity it's a lot harder to to work out how to um, run at peak demand you know with electricity whereas gas is a lot easier to use it's actually cheaper a lot of the time as well so yeah this is like the bulk of the the energy that we use is, is from fossil fuels so that's that makes it all the more startling this sort of huge stark drop that we saw and and their like jaws literally dropped you know I, I think they were they were pouring over them and they couldn't believe it this was really you know tangibly different for them yeah definitely and I think the question that everyone's going to be asking is you know is this a sustainable reduction yes maybe it was a blip but how what can we learn from it I suppose to make the future a little bit more green Exactly. And I guess what we're getting at here is that 2020 was a surprising year for energy consumption in, you know, multiple ways. Mm. Um, and and Erkal's going to go on and, and hopefully we're, we're going to learn a little bit more about, you know, what lessons we might learn and what change might come of this. 
I think what's more interesting and 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 exciting for me and possibly for others is the impact this had on carbon emissions. You know, based on our estimates, global CO2 emissions from energy use fell by 6.3% in 2020. And this is quite interesting because this meant that due to the pandemic, carbon emissions were back to their 2011 levels. And I thought to myself, you know, in a way, through a very costly and painful process, namely 2020, it's as if we traveled back in time by a decade. And now we get a do-over and we get to think about how we would have done things differently if we were back in 2011. And I think that's how, that sort of lends itself nicely to thinking about what do we do now? And is there something we could do now to change the path that we followed over the last decade? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, isn't it? This You would think that this presents, as he says, an opportunity to sort of hit the reset button and think what would we have done differently over the last decade? And can we enact that now to make a positive change in terms of carbon emissions? Yeah, but I mean, our hand was forced here, you know, that it was it was really jet fuel and the fact that we weren't driving. That was why we saw this huge decrease. But yeah. I guess it gives hope that we can radically alter the way that we live our lives. You know, in many ways, we've learned that. So hopefully going forward, we, we can make these changes. But really, we need to do this year on year on year. That's the thing. I'm slightly sceptical that because the year of 2020 represented such a disruption and I would expect that the majority of people are quite looking forward to getting back to their old lives of, you know, flying on holiday and driving to visit friends and relatives and, and, and also the industrial uses as well. We haven't spoken much about sort of industrial carbon emissions, but that surely will just go back up to the old way of doing things quite quickly, I would have thought. One of the interesting things that I really liked from this conversation was Rachel brought up this notion of stranded assets and whether we want growth, mm. whether we want a growth that is based upon fossil fuels and whether that sort of growth, is, is it a sort of pyrrhic victory? Is it, you know, if we use these fossil fuels and if we grow based on that, are we building our house on sand, really? <laughs> yeah. Let's have a listen to Rachel talking about these stranded assets. We used to think, are there going to be um, bounds on economic growth because of how much energy we have in the world? And the answer is kind of no. There's, there's lots and lots of fuels to still be dug up and there's lots of renewable energy to be made, of course. So we, we kind of no longer think about it in that sense. We think about, are we going to have to strand these fossil fuel assets such that we can have a growth which does not put us at risk of, of climate change and extraordinary weather events that we've seen this year? It is all economics that is dictating these choices that we are making in terms of turning to renewable sources of energy or to fossil fuels and the fact that that choice was it became decoupled maybe for the first time from the economics of you know despite the fact that oil was cheap we still turned to renewables i think that's a really a really good thing here's ercal on that point exactly the good news is that yes renewables grew near their long-term averages but we also saw that share of renewables in electricity generation experienced its fastest increase ever and even better news is that this generation 
seems to have replaced coal fired generation, which is a real win um, uh, for carbon emissions from energy use. I think this is a key point because the fossil fuels, um, although um, all uh, carbon emitting when combusted, tend to have different carbon content or carbon intensity, if you will. And coal is by far the worst, worst offender of the three. Oil tends to rank second and natural gas as third. We should focus on these three with this in mind. And if we want to um, make quick gains in carbon emissions, we want to focus on coal and not producing coal and not burning it. Essentially us choosing not to produce these resources that we know are there um, and foregoing them in favor of renewable technologies instead and cleaner technologies. So what we're saying here is that, you know, 2020 was this blip and we we did reduce our coal consumption so much. Do we think that this is a sign for the future? Is this going to be sustainable for the future or was it really just an exception that proves the rule really? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, BP obviously are making a lot of noise about this being huge and positive and, and BP have very mm. ambitious carbon neutrality targets themselves they're trying to transition rapidly away from oil towards electricity renewables powerpoint you know charging point stuff like that for cars so people in the energy world are getting excited about this but the fact mm. is that yeah year on year as you say we just keep missing our, our climate targets so it's sort of I don't think we can look at what promises people are making. We need to look at what's happening right now. And provided we keep missing these and the you know mm. global warming is going up and up, then we really need to you know take action. We need to be scared because things need to go far <laughs> faster. Erica will talk about this later, but we need you know a succession of 2020s over and over and over again for us to mm. actually reach our carbon targets and to, to stop global warming getting completely out of control. So, yeah, the, the, on the note of 2020 being a bit of an exception and perhaps not being all positive, um, here is Ercal again. But the bad news, of course, is looking at 2020, um, can we experience 10 more of these every year for the next decade? And, and that's, where, <laughs> that's where you raise your eyebrows and think, well, that was too painful. We probably can't handle another 10 years of this. But that's the reality. That's how far away we are from achieving what we want to achieve. Yeah, and he's right. 2020 was very painful for a lot of people and it doesn't seem realistic to expect that without the pressures of a pandemic, we would continue to make such drastic lifestyle changes and choices. Yeah, but I mean, what could be, we, th we think the, pa the pandemic obviously is drastic, but what could be more drastic than, you know, the, the, the climate change that we're seeing right now? You're absolutely right. And I suppose it's, it's all to do with mindset, isn't it? Changing the mindset from it being this quite abstract, far away concept of climate change to actually bringing it much closer to home, like the pandemic felt for so many people and, and having that change of attitude sort of lead the change of behaviour. We'll be back with more stories from Harriet Watts Edinburgh Business School in just a moment. But first, we're going to hear from Harriet Watt University graduate Abigail Watts about how being at the university is giving her new and brilliant opportunities out in the real world. She's an economics alumnus now working in economic modelling at one of the world's largest asset managers. 
Hi there, my name's Abigail Watts. I work as a research economist at Aberdeen Standard Investments. As a research economist, it's my responsibility to help us drive forward our macroeconomic research. Things like the economic modelling and our economic forecasting, I support through statistical analysis. I chose to study my undergrad at Harriet Watt because I fell in love with Edinburgh. I came to visit the university and I just loved the campus. And in addition to that, I liked the fact that there was quite a small faculty in the economics department, which meant that you could have more contact time with your lecturers. I began my career with an internship with the company that I'm currently working for between my third and fourth year at Harriet Watt. And I was supported in applying for that internship by the kind of economics department and also by the career service. And then that led me into graduating and getting a, a job with the company after finishing my undergrad degree at Harriet Watt. The thing I really love about my job is the, the opportunity to apply all of the economic theory that I've learned in my undergrad and my masters to practical questions. If you're interested in finding out about the courses at the university, please visit hw.ac.uk. Just listening to Abigail there, you can really sense the enthusiasm that she has for her course. It's, I mean, I guess it's no surprise when you consider that economics at Harriet Watt was recently ranked number one in an overall student satisfaction in Scotland survey and number three in the UK by the 2019 National Student Survey. You're listening to A Future Made, a podcast from Harriet Watt University with Anna Pajajski and Robbie Armstrong. So far, we've been hearing from Erkal Ersoy and Rachel Forshaw about a year like no other in the energy world. Coming right up, a frank conversation about oil exploration and the future of renewables. So at the time I spoke to Erkal and Rachel, there was this sort of bubbling controversy, which is still ongoing, surrounding the proposed oil exploration site off the coast of Scotland. Um, so I was being a bit naughty, a little bit cheeky, and I decided to ask <laughs> them a bit of a thorny question. Should we still be exploring North Sea oil now at this pivotal moment when we've proved to the world that we can cut down on oil and gas? and increase our renewable energy consumption. So perhaps a little bit unfair of me because, you know, they pour, they're economists that pour over the data, but I was really interested to find out what they thought of this from an economic standpoint. We've seen um, recovery in employment since the, the pandemic in all regions of Scotland, except really the northeast, which is the oil region. If we're going to be talking about moving away from these polluting fuels, we also have to think about those that are going to be left behind because of this. So there has to be government policy that not only uh, nudges us towards um, the, the right kind of economic growth and sustainable growth, uh, but we also have to think about the kind of tasks, skills that people are doing in their jobs, how they can transition into perhaps uh, renewable energy jobs or into something else entirely. I mean, yeah, we want we want jobs creation, a green transition that is just where, you know, there's reskilling and retraining and Scotland can use its unique position in the oil and gas sector, hopefully to pivot and to, to move fully into renewables. I mean, 
I know you probably don't want to be dragged into this too much, but the Campbell oil field, that's two and a half decades of oil in there. 60,000 barrels a day they hope to extract. I mean, it's 800 million barrels of oil or its gas equivalent. Is this the direction that you want the world to be moving in at the moment? Um, I, I think the, the simple answer is no. This is not the direction in which we need to be going. I think we need to think carefully about the steps that we take in the next handful of years that will set the, the trends uh, going forward. But we're repeatedly missing the year-on-year -year targets that we need to be seeing to hit these climate objectives that we've set uh, for ourselves and, and the world governments have agreed to. And we need 10 2020s for the next 10 years for us to even stand the chance of meeting these objectives. I think Rachel hit on such an important point there, which is that these fossil fuel industries are very important at a local economic level. You know, this is these are people's livelihoods and we can talk about reskilling as much as we want. But the fact is, if we start to reduce these fossil fuels, then Scotland as a country is going to have to reassess where its industries are and how it will position itself in a more renewable energy landscape. And it's been afforded by the oil and gas infrastructure a unique position where it can transition and rescale. We can have this sort of green recovery and just transition. People shouldn't be out of mm. jobs. You know, we don't want another, like a repeat of the coal mines where people just, there's chronic exactly. unemployment in these areas. Actually, what we can do is, is place ourselves as world experts in renewables. Part of the complication right now is that the world is still very much reliant on oil and gas. And we can just look at how the current gas shortage is affecting Europe right now. So here's Ercal on this point. The fact remains that on the way to a renewable-dominated energy mix, we need to continue to rely on some of the fossil fuels. I think it goes without saying that if you want to produce solar panels or wind turbines or build a dam for hydroelectricity, you're going to need to rely on the traditional oil-powered vehicles and, and building equipment and the mines that, that, that need to operate to dig up all the lithium for the batteries for electric vehicles, all this ties back into having to use the existing energy mix. To a certain extent, I'm sorry to say, um, we have to continue to rely on fossil fuels until we're in a position to rely entirely on cleaner technologies and that that will take us to a more sustainable path. I think that's such a good point. You know, there are so many other industries, including industries that are adjacent to renewables, like electric cars, for example, that will at least initially rely on oil and gas. So it's not as simple as just completely going cold turkey, is it? Yeah, and I mean, look at the, the pandemic. You know, so many of the things that we've relied on for sanitary reasons are, are made, you know, using petrol yep. at some stage in the process, all the plastics and all the vials. And there's so many parts of healthcare, for example, that will probably always need to use plastics. And I mean, plastic, yep. if it goes back into the economy, if it's part of a circular economy, is very um, important and can be, you know, if it's reused better than, than other sources. But um, yeah, you just can't disentangle oil and petrol and fossil fuels quite yet from the sort of human mm. equation and the way that we live on this earth. 
Just to try and get a bit of positivity back into the conversation, here is Erka explaining why he does have some hope for Scotland in the field of renewables. For those of us who live in Scotland, I think we would we would attest to the fact that there's plenty of wind. <laughs> um, I think there is lots of um, research um, on tidal power and, and wave generated power as well. Um, offshore wind and onshore wind is quite big in Scotland. There's hydroelectricity and the list goes on. I think the thing that I've learnt the most from our conversation is how crucial the economics is going to be in all this. So, you know, it's not just choices that we're making because it's the right thing to do. You know, we have to look after the economic argument as well. And, you know, whole regions and whole countries need to make sure that their transition is sustainable, not only in energy, but also in the finances of it as well. Well, exactly. Yeah, this green transition, this just transition, it has to include everyone. It can't leave people out. And that isn't just the West. I mean, we need to think about this globally. We need to look at countries that have huge amounts of oil and gas reserves and we need to find a financial solution. We need economists to work out how much money we need to persuade countries to leave these in the ground, to keep these as stranded assets and to move towards renewables. And that is all about numbers. The economics of this is so central. I think that's what I didn't quite appreciate before our conversation is that the economics will drive all of this change and it just simply won't happen if the economics isn't there. So we really have got economists like Urkel and Rachel to thank for their work to make sure that the economics is still being factored into all of these positive energy changes. This is one of the longest running industry collaborations at the university. And looking at this in the context of COP, you know, it's all about economics. It's all about money. And I think, you know, that's what we'll see play out time and time again is we need to find ways of encouraging countries to leave these fossil fuels in the ground, this idea of stranded assets to maintain the planet's temperature and to ensure that we all can sustain life on this planet. Yep, we, we probably owe a lot more to economists and to economic sort of strategy than, than most people would realise. Thanks for listening to A Future Made. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss an episode. Just search for A Future Made. And if you want to find out more about the economics of energy and renewables, you can head over to Harriet Watt University's website at hw.ac.uk.